Hello there. My name is Shirley Fisher, and I'm an illustrator, creative business owner, and mom of two. I've been slowly growing from a part-time creator to a full-time working artist since 2016, so I know the joy and struggle of working for yourself and how mindset can impact your growth. It's here where we dig deep through vulnerable chats about running a creative business and uprooting our limiting beliefs. My hope is that you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered with a greater sense of clarity and community. So find a cozy spot, open up your heart, and prepare to be encouraged. Welcome to the Tillage Podcast. Well, hi, Danny. Thank you so much for coming on the Tillage Podcast. I'm super excited you're here today and everything we're going to chat about. I would love for you to start off by just giving us a background of your career before you stepped into what you're doing full-time and just a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about our our topics today too. So I am a fiber artist and I got started, oh, 11 years ago when I discovered something called needle felting through a conversation with a coworker. I was working a completely different career path. I was working at a zoo. I was a conservation educator. So I would teach kids and zoo guests about animals. It was a really fun job. I loved it. But I was craving something a little more creative in my life. And I was starting to dabble in things. I was taking a pottery class at a local art museum. And I was I was working my way through a sewing book. I was just trying to express my creativity in some way. And then I had a conversation with a coworker. She mentioned needle felting. She said, you can create these cute little animal figurines out of wool. And that sounded really interesting to me. I had never heard of it. So I looked it up and I saw some kits. I I found a kit of just supplies on Etsy, ordered that, and then (laughs) it just took off from there. I started making all those cute little figurines and I started amassing this huge collection of things and decided I should probably try selling them to at least support my new obsession (laughs) to make some money to buy some more supplies, right? So it started off small. I came up with like a cute little business name. I called myself Good Natured Art and I started selling my stuff at local craft shows. Then I got on Etsy, started selling things there, and it took off. You know, it got to the point where I was sure I was doing my full-time job 40 hours a week, right? But I was doing this probably another 40 hours a week. (laughs) Like it was, I was staying up till midnight trying to make things in preparation for shows and just trying to keep my Etsy stock, my Etsy shop stocked. And this was great. It was fun. It was making me a little bit of side money. Then I discovered that you could actually do this needle felting process, which I'll explain in a minute, in a two-dimensional style. So instead of creating these sculptures out of wool, I could make pictures. And that, for me, was way more artistically fulfilling. It was, that was my jam. I, I was into that. And I had always been kind of, you know, artistic. And I took art classes in high school and all of that. I was president of art club, you know, like the huge nerd that I am. And, but I didn't do anything in college. And so all of this was just starting to fill this hole that I had in my life. And this two-dimensional way of needle felting was just a game changer. So I started 
creating this process for myself and honed it to where now I do these highly realistic pictures and portraits that are made out of wool. And instead of feeling crafty or, you know, a little more primitive, these feel more like art to me. And I I think they're perceived probably more that way too, not to say that 3D needle felting is not art because it absolutely is. I just prefer this method better. For me, it's, it, it fills that artistic hole that was in my life. So a, a few years into my needle felting journey, I was making more money and, and was kind of able to bring in more of an income, more than I expected. And when I started offering commissions and pet portraits, that's when the tide turned. That's when I realized that, oh, I could actually needle felt all day, every day and support myself and bring in a decent income for myself and my husband. So about a year or, well, about a year and a half, maybe after my first pet portrait. What year was this that you started to shift into the pet portraits and the the 2D versus the 3D? Yeah. So my first 2D was 2013, I believe. Okay. That sounds right. And I believe my first pet portrait, oh gosh, <laughs> can't remember all these dates. It was either, it was, I think it was 2014. It was like the very beginning of 2014 because the next year, 2015, was when I left my job as a zoo educator. So it it was a hard decision to make because I was not, you know, this was not my plan to become an artist. I wanted to work with animals. That was my whole career path. I have a degree in biology. I have a master's degree in conservation education. So, I mean, I was going for it. I was just going to go that whole career path, but things changed, right? And so when I, in 2015 was when I decided I could actually support myself, leave my job, and then just keep growing as an artist. Well, first of all, (laughs) it's a huge (laughs) risk for anybody to leave something that from anyone's viewpoint would go, okay, that's a really successful career path. Like, wait, Mm -hmm. what are you doing, Danny? You're going to become a working artist. I mean, how was that transition for you and taking the plunge and believing in yourself and knowing like, okay, I can do this. It's it's proven to be successful. This is something that I'm worth, that's worth pursuing full-time. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, it, it was kind of a risk. The whole time that I was bringing in kind of a part-time income from my art, I also had my full-time job and my husband had a full-time job as well. So, you know, we had, we had that income where I could actually play a little bit with my art and see what was possible. When when I transitioned into a full-time artist, we actually both quit our jobs and we moved to a different town in a different state. So, um, yeah, but we, we had very little debt. We had a little bit of a savings and we had a plan, you know, we were living on family property for about a year after we both quit our jobs. So we didn't have a whole lot of expenses. We were trying to be smart about it. You know, we weren't like buying a new house right away or anything like that. But um, we did have a little bit of padding, right? So we tried to plan, try not to be 
terribly risky about it. But then that afforded me time to be able to grow as a business, to be able to learn some things and implement them where, you know, that's the time I didn't have before because I still had my other job. And on top of that too, I could also rely a little bit on my husband because he's been helpful the entire time, you know, whether it's just like helping me prepare kits or traveling to workshops and helping prepare for those and set those up. So it took some planning and it was scary, but I think that it's part of my personality type just to be very logical and pragmatic and step-by-step and just kind of take everything a little bit at a time to make it work. Which I think is why you love needle felting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because would you mind explaining for those who are listening, who have no idea what you're talking about, because you talk about time. I mean, you needed time to really make the pieces you were making because I have seen your work and it is absolutely mind-blowing when you look at how realistic these images are that you're creating. So can you explain what the medium is a little bit further Mm -hmm. and then about how long does it take? Maybe you can explain the like dimensions of the project for how long it takes you because it is an investment of time, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Needle felting, in case you've never seen it or heard of it before, is the process of tangling or combining wool fibers. And they can be other fibers, but in my case, it's wool with a barbed needle. So you poke the fibers to with the needle to kind of set them in place. And you can do this, like I mentioned before, in a three-dimensional style or... In my style, I do it as like a two-dimensional picture. So instead of using paint and a brush, I'm actually using wool fibers and a felting needle and I'm placing the fibers on a background of fabric with the needle like you would place pigment with a brush. So it's still very much kind of the same process. I'm, I'm still kind of mixing and blending fibers to create new colors. I'm using the colors of the fibers to emulate light and shadow and depth and all of that. And yeah, because I'm poking wool fibers with a tiny needle, it takes so long. <laughs> I, on average, if I'm doing, so my average piece is probably about eight by eight inches or so. That's kind of a nice, comfortable size, which is not large at all, but something like that is probably going to take me around eight to 10 to 12 hours. It just kind of depends on the detail. And if I'm filling the entire image with wool, or if I'm leaving some of the fabric exposed, but I have been branching out into larger pieces and those have been like those have been my favorite so far I've I've just really enjoyed kind of expanding my my art in size but also just in perspective and so most recently a few of the portraits that I've been making are um they're let me think they're about 16 by 20 and I timed one and the total actual felting poking time was 25 hours oh my word It's, yeah, it's super time consuming, but it's also for anybody who's ever tried it, like it is just so meditative and it's just so satisfying. (laughs) 
I will say it again. If you have not seen Danny's work, your mind's just going to be blown that this medium even exists. I had never even heard of it until I met Danny. And it just, it, there's something so unique about it. And I mean, I have never seen somebody work so intricately with a medium outside of paint like this. It's very, very interesting. I would love for you to also share your journey into education because that's also Mm -hmm. a huge part of your business and what you do. Can you explain kind of how you journeyed in that direction? Because you have written a book, you have lots of courses, you've been very successful at this. So I'm just hoping you can share that journey and story with us. Yeah. Back in my zoo job, I was an educator, although I had never planned to do that part either. I I am not a confident public speaker. I can I can fake it like the best of them, but inside it is terrifying and I'm I'm sure that is the case for most people. But um or maybe I shouldn't assume. It's the case for me anyway. In an informal setting, I do really well. And and I got my education or educating start at my zoo job. Just teaching kids about animals. I mean, it was fun. It was low-key. It was exciting. So I was comfortable enough when I when I know my subject and when I am excited about it, that makes it easier for me. So as I started needle felting and as I was attending these craft shows, people kept asking me, how do you do this? So I got in the habit of taking in-progress projects with me to craft shows and just kind of demonstrating. And through that process, I realized that teaching my new skill, needle felting, was easier for me, or it was easy. And so as people kept asking, like, you know, how do you teach this? Can you teach me? Like, how do I, where do I learn this? That's when I knew there was a demand for creating those workshops. So I started locally with in-person workshops, just very low-key, easy projects, you know, just come needle felt with me, pay for your supplies, let's try it out. Before my very first one, though, I started with a group of friends. It was just like, hey, let's, we're going to go hang out at a restaurant and I'm going to show you how to make these cute little needle felted hearts. And it was just a proof of concept. You know, can I show these people how to take these wool fibers, this needle and make a shape? And I could. So it was like, okay, well, let's, let's expand. Let's start making some owls and some other, you know, I think we did like Easter eggs or something like that once. That that might've been my very first one. It was either that or owls, cute little owls, a giant eyeball (laughs) look like cartoons. And then it, I, I started traveling as much as I could, especially after I left my, my nine to five job and had that more flexibility. I started to reach out regionally, but also we kind of, my first travel teaching situation was a little loop around the Southeast US. So we did multiple states. I contacted venues that might either have already had art classes or craft classes or anything like that, just to see if they had a space in their schedule for me. We worked out a deal and that's how I that's when I really fell in love with teaching because when I knew I could incorporate traveling into it, that was, 
that was ideal for me because we also love to travel. And then the online courses came as a result of people wanting to attend workshops, but not being able to either travel to one or me not being able to get to them. So I started my my social media following was growing. I was getting a lot more attention nationally and worldwide. And so the online courses came as a result of me just trying to be able to reach other people and then getting to learn my techniques online instead of in person. So my first course was just a, it's kind of, I mean, it's embarrassing now because I made it, I don't know, back in 2000. 15 or 16, the technology wasn't amazing. My skills with the camera and audio were not great, but it did the job, right? Like it still got people into my world. It it showed them how to do my techniques and they had fun. So that's, that's how it all started, but it has definitely grown into something a little more robust these days. Definitely. And you talk about your techniques, and I really want to focus on that for a second, because what you're doing in 2D, I mean, I know it had been done before, but you took something and elevated it to a point that really gave it a lot of attention. So can you speak to taking something that had been done, but maybe hadn't been widespread and really believing in that process when you really didn't have an example of how that was being taught before. I mean, I'm sure it has been taught before, but what I'm trying to say is you didn't have an example to follow, but you paved your own way in the methods you're teaching. Mm -hmm. So how did you fight that feeling that it hadn't been done before? So are you really the person to teach it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think first of all, I had to change my mindset of what I was actually teaching because I'm I'm coming from a very craft-centered medium. And my whole goal as a current fiber artist and as somebody who has been teaching needle felting for a while, and as as my art has evolved, my whole goal is to help this medium be seen as more artful. So in that vein, the one thing that I started to do when referring to my technique was calling it painting with wool. So it's not just needle felting. It's I'm actually trying to use these techniques and paint a picture with wool. And so in that way, I'm just trying to kind of elevate this art form so that it can be seen as something something as more fine art than than not than rather than just a little figurine of an owl that sits on a shelf something that can be appreciated maybe a little bit more as a beautiful work of art so when you were going on this journey though as a creative and that's such an ambitious goal How did you fight the feelings, though, that nobody's taught this painting with wool technique? I mean, it's easy to say, like, I could jump on Skillshare and teach a class on how to make greeting cards because it's already been done before. You know, it's a very easy, I mean, it it isn't easy. I'll I'll step back and say it took me a while to figure out how to do it. But there is 
a point A to point Z experience because there were examples of how this has been done. But in your methods and strategies, the landscape wasn't really there for it. So how did you Mm -hmm. fight that feeling of like, is this something that people are going to want to hear about? Do I really have enough of a strategy to actually teach this method? So that idea of maybe this hasn't been done before is actually what excites me the most. Because if it hasn't been done before, then maybe I can help pioneer it a little bit. Maybe I can kind of steer the ship. (laughs) Do you steer a ship? I don't know. But maybe I can just kind of make a direction for it. So yeah, it wasn't, I definitely, I wasn't seeing this type of technique for needle felting, not to say that it didn't exist. I'm sure it existed. I'm sure people were doing this, you know, style for a while. But it was something that I I did kind of hone in on and a lot. And because of my social media growth and presence, it, it was highlighted quite a lot. I was able to bring a lot of attention to it. But yeah, I, I kind of love the idea of being the first at something. That's I'm fine with that. That, that doesn't scare me <laughs> in any way because, I mean, if I'm the first and it doesn't work, then, you know, we'll just, we'll try something new next time. That's for me, it's just like, well, it's just proof that maybe the market wasn't ready yet. Maybe they're ready later, but maybe not yet. (laughs) I love that you use the word pioneering and not everyone feels the same way that you do, Danny, of oh, I love that this hasn't been done before. So I'm just going to pave the way. (laughs) I love that you use that word because it is definitely positioning yourself as a leader. And so I would love for you to speak on if you have had any limiting beliefs as you've positioned yourself um, in this expert role, have there been anything that's come up as you've moved forward for you that has made you kind of self-doubt or even have some imposter syndrome with that term like expert, because you are seen as an expert in this field now. Okay. Yeah. I, (laughs) so yes, I've definitely had imposter syndrome. I mean, I probably have it every day at some point, but I can comfortably call myself an expert now but this is after, you know, years and tens of thousands of hours of probably dedicating to my art. But initially, I and and still because I have no formal art training, I did not go to art school, yet here I am talking to people about art, trying to elevate a medium as more artful. Like who am I to do any of that? But at this point, I, I'm comfortable with the art that I make, with the techniques that I teach, with the space that I've kind of carved out for myself. And I think as long as I'm happy, then, you know, I, I don't really, that, that imposter syndrome is less and less. Like, of, of course, it's still there. And of course, if, you know, it pops up occasionally in, you know, surprising places. But it's it was that initial 
a fear of like, I really don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> when it comes to art. It, a lot of it is, a lot of it is kind of intuitive and I don't know how to explain certain things or, you know, I may not have the vocabulary to be able to really portray something to a student. So I do my best and I'm definitely better now than I used to be, but it has, it has gotten a lot easier. (laughs) The more, the more you do, the more it gets easy. (laughs) And I think it's easy for us to all downplay something that comes naturally to us. So when you are making these things, I mean, yeah, you just kind of figured it out and it, you're successful at it, you're good at it. And so it can be hard to recognize well, how do I actually teach Mm -hmm. this? And you can also forget like that you are good at something sometimes because it is so natural that other people are like, how in the world did you do that? And like, I just can. (laughs) Yeah, that (laughs) is so true. (laughs) I mean, so I love that you chatted about imposter syndrome. Is there anything tangible that you can kind of cling to that you feel like has helped you move forward. I know you explained this a little bit, but do you have like a mantra or anything that you do that you kind of can snap yourself out of that? Especially I'm thinking of places in my own life, like before you launch a course, before you step up to teach a group of people and you have that feeling of like, oh my gosh, who am I? Am I capable of this? Do people really want to learn from me? Is there something that you have that you just can like snap yourself out of? I know I'm looking for like this simple little thing and it's not that simple, simple. but I, okay. So a long time ago, back when I was doing training for my education, my conservation education job, it was a management course of all things within this program. And it was a, a slide on the screen and it was you are not responsible for other people's feelings is that's what they were teaching. And it, it was just a moment of extreme clarity for me. I don't, for some reason I, that had never occurred to me. I mean, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but I cling to that whenever I launch anything, I'm not responsible for other people's feelings. I am not responsible for their reactions and you know, as I said before, as long as I'm happy with the art that I'm producing, with the courses that I'm teaching, with the value that I'm providing for other people, then then I'm good. So it's it's that little nugget that has always stuck with me that I just, I can't control other people's reactions, but I can control how I feel about something. And that's what I focus on. I love that. I'm like scribbling it down so that I can get a piece of art and hang it up in my, my home because man, oh man, I, I tend to very much take on what people's reactions and Mm -hmm. feelings are about what I produce. And I love that you were saying, as long as you're happy and you know that you've given it your best and that you are confident in what you're valuing or what your value is and what you're delivering, then that's all that you can do. Cause you can only control what you can do and what you can bring into the world. I think that's going to be very powerful for people to hear. We're going to step into fear, the topic of fear a little bit, which kind of mirrors imposter syndrome in a way. But what fears did you have when you launched your first class or course? It does probably play into what we just talked about a little bit, but 
with the outcome of your first launch, did that help negate some of that? When you launched and you're able to say, oh, this was the outcome. Did it help kind of erase some of those fears moving forward? I'm going to talk about my my portrait course when we talk about kind of launching because this was this was my first big course, like my first real stance as an educator. I this was the thing I was seen as an expert in was creating pet portraits. So I had had people coming to me for years wanting me to teach pet portraits. And I just didn't think I I had done in-person workshops, but online courses, it just felt so big. It felt like I maybe couldn't teach everything that I kind of thought people should know or would want to know in an online course. So my fear was, one, can I produce something useful? And of course, two, are people really going to buy in? You know, are they going to join? So I just started, you know, talking about it, asking people what they struggled with when it came to creating pet portraits. So I, I really started to hone in on all of those topics that they wanted to hear about. And I said, okay, I'm going to make this course. And I offered the course before I even built it to my audience. I said, here's here's what it's going to probably look like. Here's my idea for it. And here's what you're going to get out of it. And I pre-sold the course before it existed. And I ended up with 178 students that launch before it existed. So that was oh incredible, right? Gosh. I was blown <laughs> yeah. away. I mean, I had I had no idea what to expect for this, but clearly people wanted it, which is great. And the fear there, um launching that and getting that many students right away was great. But I I launch new things all the time. I open and close the launch for my portrait course a couple of times a year. And the fear that the last launch was my best launch ever, or was the last good launch is always there every single time. I talk to my husband about it. I talk to my mom about it. You know, I tell her, hey, I'm going to open up my portrait commissions and we'll see what happens when she's like, you know, it's going to be fine. (laughs) She's always the words of wisdom. She says, it's going to be fine. It always is. But inside, I, there's always that doubt, right? Like there's just always that doubt, like maybe they just don't like me anymore, or maybe they just don't like my work anymore. And then, then I have to go back to that, that little piece of advice that I just, I can't control other people's feelings. I can't control their reactions. I can just put good things out in the world and see what happens. So that fear is always there. (laughs) It's always there, but it does get easier to deal with. And it is more short-lived these days, for sure. Well, and the fact that you put a course up that really hadn't existed yet into the world and then people bought in, I feel like a whole nother set of fear would creep in. For me, at least, going, oh no, people signed up for this thing and I haven't made it yet. Now I know that there's a demand. Now I know people are counting on me to deliver 
did that creep up for you? That's a really good question. I had had a plan at this point when people joined, I I kind of knew, and I would, I also set their expectations too. So they knew what to expect, but yes, like I totally get that feeling. I mean, I, I understand that completely. And yes, it's, it's definitely some pressure. I tend to work pretty well under pressure like that. So it, it's more of a motivation than a fear at that point. Cause at at that moment, it was like, okay, they're, they're here and I can, I can now, you know, give them as much value as possible and let them learn. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I wish I was more like that. And if there are people out there wishing they were more like that and they wish that they had the confidence to mm-hmm. start teaching, but they're sitting here thinking, well, I'm not really an expert or maybe I don't have enough experience or maybe nobody does want to hear from me. Do you have any words of wisdom for somebody who wants to teach, but doesn't feel like maybe they're an expert? Do you have any tools that would help them move past this feeling and move into action to actually start teaching? I wasn't an expert either when I started teaching. I was had been needle felting for a few years. I had some practice, but my my skill set was just a little bit better than my students. So as long as you're a few steps ahead than your students, then you have value you can provide. You have things you can teach them. So you definitely don't have to be an expert in anything to be able to teach. And if you want to teach, you definitely should, because I feel like, you know, not everybody's cut out for teaching, but if you want to, it is so rewarding for, for many reasons, for you and for your students, because it's not only do you get to share your knowledge, help people learn skills, but you get something back in exchange too. I mean, you get to learn from them. You get to see different perspectives and that's a really amazing exchange practical steps that people can take. And what I did was I just started with a group of friends. I, you know, just hop on a Zoom or go out, you know, meet a a room in your library, go to a park and just like show them something new. Let them ask questions, take notes and get some feedback. And then you can kind of start building from there. You can create ideas or projects that you want to teach, create a little mini curriculum or, you know, a step-by-step project that you can share with somebody. And then if you're ready to start branching out, reach out within your local community into spaces that maybe you could rent or that will let you, that will host you to have another group of people that maybe pay you to teach them a skill and then start building start building your teaching career that way. I think those are great points and I have loved this conversation of first of all your vulnerability of sharing your story of all the fears and doubts and moving past those. And on the other side of that, have experienced such reward from putting yourself out there and teaching others. So thank you for sharing. And I love your bit of advice of you don't have control over people's feelings. That is so, so (laughs) great. (laughs) Before we wrap up, I would love for you to share where people can find you online 
And then anything that you're working on in the next couple months that you would love to share? You can find me on my website. It's dannyives.com. I'm also on Instagram at at begoodnatured and Facebook as well under that. I have online courses. My portrait course is about to launch again, but you can always join my painting with wool course if you have the desire to learn these two-dimensional wool images. It's super fun course and it's always available. And I'll have many more online courses coming out very soon. So I have a newsletter on my website that you can join and find out more if you're interested. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining again today, Danny. And I really love chatting with you today. Same. Thank you for having me. What an incredible chat with Danny. If you haven't seen her work, drop everything after this podcast and go run on over to her Instagram because your mind is about to be blown of what she does with wool. Also head on over to the tillagepodcast.com so that you can jump on Danny's newsletter and get information for her future classes and courses. Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. It's okay to grow slow and take things one step at a time. If it hasn't been done before, don't let that stop you. You could be the one to pioneer it. When the question comes up, who am I? Answer, why not me? We can forget our gifts and talents because they come naturally to us. But if we allow ourselves to see our gifts from someone else's perspective, then we can see how valuable they really are. You are not responsible for other people's feelings or other people's reactions. And lastly, You don't have to be an expert to teach something. You just need to be a few steps ahead. Thanks again for listening to the Tillage Podcast. It brings me so much joy knowing that you spent your very precious time with me here today. If you want more, head on over to thetillagepodcast.com for today's show notes. And I'll be back next week with another episode.